Sponsorship of the KQED live audio stream comes from Xfinity Mobile, featuring customized wireless plans. Customers can choose unlimited, buy the gig, shared data, or a mix of both and switch it up anytime. Learn more at XfinityMobile.com. From KQED in San Francisco, this is the Writer's Block. Hi, I'm Ryan Boudinot. I'm reading from my novel, Blueprints of the Afterlife. Wood smoke curled around evergreens. Chio followed Hiroko up the muddy path to this place of astonishment, a whole college campus suspended in the trees. Through the mist, the Douglas firs appeared to wear skirts. These were circular houses built around their trunks, linked by a network of rope and cable bridges. There were hundreds of tree houses of various circumferences and elevations, whole multi-story platforms held aloft in the triangulations of trunks, students traveling from one class to another by rope swing and zip line. Hiroko showed Chiho to a rickety elevator, and they rose into the canopy where curious squirrels and robins perched, coming to rest on a platform that seemed to float on a pillow of fog. In this creaking, crescent-shaped, wind-swayed structure was a lecture hall where several tiers of benches faced inward toward a lectern. A couple dozen students had already gathered, notebooks ready, sipping chai, bringing the low murmur of chatter to a close as Hiroko took her place behind the microphone. Chio found a spot in the back row. Let's get settled, everyone. Today I'd like to talk about Malaspina, the roving glacier of death. I'll take questions afterward. Stragglers, please take your seats. In the early years of the fuss, with polar ice rapidly retreating, as great famines and genocides swept continents, one meteorological oddity perplexed the world's climate scientists. While glaciers melted, exposing mummies and mastodons, one glacier appeared to not only not shrink, but in fact grow larger. Hiroko pulled down a prefuss world map demarcated by long-obliterated political boundaries and tapped Alaska with her pointer. Here in the southeast portion of what was then the state of Alaska, the Malaspina Glacier appeared to be reversing a decades-long process of melting. At one time, the glacier was 40 miles across, 28 miles long, and some 600 meters thick, with an area of 1,500 square miles. During the early fuss, when other glaciers melted, it appeared to grow by 0.3% daily during its peak growth. This caught the attention of the Climate Crisis Control Center, or C4, who initially viewed it as an opportunity to establish a polar bear refuge. As you know... The retreat of Arctic sea ice led to alarming polar bear drownings and cannibalism. The C4, who fed rescued polar bears with air-dropped loads of fish compacted into frozen bales, studied the air currents around the glacier and the geology of the region, but nothing could explain why it continued to grow. By all measures, it should have been melting. Soon it grew to subsume a small nearby village, which was heralded as a promising sign. If it were to melt, you see, Malaspina alone would have contributed half an inch to the level of rising seawater. Various climatologists, including Dr. Stephen McDonough-Hughes at the University of Alaska Anchorage and Drs. Fran and Regina Kroll of Oxford's Climate Response Committee, believe that the secret to reversing this warming trend may have been contained within or around Malaspina. It seemed that the growing glacier in southeast Alaska might be cause for hope and optimism about the future of the climate. Then on April 14th of Fuss 17, the glacier began to move with its polar bears, breaking free of the mainland and slipping into the ocean. It appeared to be making a beeline for Anchorage, provoking a mass exodus, with Anchorage residents fleeing for other parts of Alaska and Canada. 
The glacier destroyed city blocks following a somewhat counterintuitive trajectory. Rather than remaining at sea level, it managed to defy physics and climb to higher elevations. When the airdrops of frozen blocks of fish stopped, some of the polar bears started climbing off the ice to feed on the animal carcasses left in the glacier's wake. After eradicating Anchorage, Malaspina moved on to various population centers of Canada. Reducing Prince Rupert and Whitehorse to mud, it continued on a more or less straight path to Edmonton. By now, sympathy for the plight of the polar bears had largely disappeared from public discourse. Instead of beautiful mammals deserving our preservation efforts, they came to be known as a marauding horde of beasts surfing a climactic anomaly that was laying waste to Canada. Several theories emerged to explain the origin and sheer persistence of the glacier. Many suggested the mass of ice possessed an intelligence. It was easy to personify as it appeared to be deliberately targeting concentrations of human civilization. As it approached Saskatoon, Canadians stood on top of buildings and bridges with bullhorns, loudly and profusely apologizing for warming the planet. But the glacier would not be placated. With its polar bears roaring, the great sheet of ice scraped skyscrapers off the face of the earth, ground power plants and apartment buildings and sports stadiums under its heels, and left behind a trench filled with strange artifacts from cities it had flattened. It picked up an entire shopper's drug mart in Winnipeg, with shoppers and employees still inside. They rode atop the glacier for weeks, barricaded inside the store, fending off polar bear attacks and eating large quantities of snack food before the whole store slipped into Thunder Bay. While Malaspina laid waste to the Great White North, Americans paid little attention. They had their own disasters to attend to, and besides, Americans never paid much attention to Canadians anyway, unless they were good at telling jokes. When Winnipeg was reduced to nothing, few media networks even paid it a minute's notice, the news overshadowed by certain revelations of a sexual nature involving a supporting cast member of a situation comedy. It was only when Malaspina veered due south toward what was left of Detroit that Americans began to pay attention. With polar bears roaming the streets of what had once been called the Motor City and a great wall of ice not far behind, what was left of the U.S. government mobilized. The National Guard trained thermal beams on the marauding glacier, hoping to melt it down. Still, it grew larger and faster, wiping Cincinnati, Philadelphia, and Boston off the map. It headed for Chicago, then St. Louis, pursued all the way by helicopter gunships and tanks. Even its forays into the southwest did nothing to reduce its size. In fact, residents of those stifling cities welcomed Malaspina's arrival as a reprieve from the heat realizing only too late the destructive properties of such a vast body of ice, not to mention thousands of angry polar bears. Once the glacier wiped out Dallas, it appeared to slow somewhat, and by the time it crawled over the Rockies into California, it even appeared to be shrinking. It was in Los Angeles that Malaspina made its final stand. The history of Los Angeles was one of earthquakes and wildfires. They were familiar with disaster. As Malaspina approached, the mayor's office, considering the long list of cities removed from the face of the earth by this frigid monster, decided to boldly destroy Malaspina once and for all by sacrificing their city in flames. At the moment the glacier came within city limits, specially trained teams in fire-retardant suits ignited strategically placed petroleum reserves. The polar bears let out great wails of fury and pain as their fur burned and the overwhelmed glacier began to melt. Back and forth, these elemental forces raged, fire-melting ice, ice turning into water that doused the flames, until only here and there fires burned and the glacier was the size of a compact car, surrounded by scorched polar bear meat 
dissolving on Sunset Boulevard. As that fateful day came to a close, a girl named Deidre Franklin wandered through the wasteland of her city and came to the place where the ancient glacial ice turned at last to water. All that was left now was a single chunk, no bigger than a typical ice cube, containing the dying breaths of ancient mammals, which Deidre used to cool a glass of Mountain Dew Extreme Lime. To subscribe to the Writer's Block and hear more stories, visit kqed.org slash writersblock. The Writer's Block is produced by KQED.